out in his study of Acts 15, um, the importance of this particular chapter. And in fact, the first sentence of a very long section on Acts 15, uh, Ben Witherington writes this, it is no exaggeration to say that Acts 15 is the most crucial chapter in the whole book. Now that sounds like uh, quite a statement on his part, especially when you consider, well, Acts 2 has the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty important. And, um, well, then there's the, the conversion of Saul. We looked at it a little, bit, a little bit ago from the ninth chapter. There's other important events. He's not diminishing any of those. But what is, what is so central and crucial to this chapter and the thing that's going on, what he's addressing, is on the surface it doesn't sound very exciting. This is historically the first ever church council. Are you ready to rock with that? Council meeting, woo, let's go. Board meeting, yeah. You know, people don't generally get excited about those things. They're necessary and they're good to be organized and to talk things through from time to time. But you, but you don't generally get excited about it. Not that you need to be excited about it today, but I want you to see the importance of it. And that's why the scholar characterizes this in, in that way. It's, it's, it's the middle chapter of Acts, literally. And it is also central to how the gospel is going to be conveyed and perceived going forward. The first verse says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So if you were paying attention earlier in the earlier chapters, you'll recognize that the issue about Gentiles was a big deal, that, that the, the church was entirely a Jewish movement, or looked at that way at first. This was Jewish people embracing Jesus from Nazareth as the Christ, as the Messiah, claiming he was risen again and believing that. And then all of a sudden, there's some Gentile converts coming in. And then there's, there's this movement from someone named Saul, who used to be one of them, a Pharisee no less, who's now a believer in Jesus and is telling everyone it's his, his calling to go out and reach all these Gentiles. So, so this was reluctantly embraced even by Peter and many of the other apostles but they slowly but surely came along. But at some point, some of them felt, wait a minute, okay, they're believers in Jesus, but what else does this mean? Like, like these, the, the church was made up, as I said, of Jewish people. So what were they doing? They were still carrying on what they were used to in terms of their culture, in terms of their religious practice, their worship, for the most part, because in the, to them, that is, Peter and the apostles, 
It was a continuation of what they learned. It was a fulfillment of what they learned. This, is, this was called by the law and the prophets, and, and so there was, there, was no, there was no problem there to continue going to the temple and offering sacrifice and all of that, but sooner or later, they started to realize that while that still has its place, it's not the center anymore. And so, well... What about our Gentile friends? Don't they have to obey some of these rules? Which one should they obey? Like which, which one should be the focus? So, well, circumcision was the, the, the sign of the covenant, the mark of the covenant upon their people for, for centuries, going all the way back to Abraham. So you think, shouldn't they also be circumcised? Because they are now set apart for for the work of God in this world. And so, so in a way, you can, al- you can almost hear them, their, their argument almost sounding good, or it, it kind of makes sense at a certain level. But on the other hand, if you're Gentile, well, wait a minute. I thought this was about faith in the one God sent named Jesus the Christ, who, who died and rose again to forgive. What, what does circumcision have to do with this? And so there was a group that, was pushing for that, okay? We'll, we'll come back to all that in a moment. Verse 5 says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Note that there were Pharisees who were Christians. Remember the Pharisees that gave Jesus a hard time everywhere he went? Well, some of them actually became believers in Jesus, including, as I said a moment ago, Saul. Verse 6, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So we have Peter coming back now. In chapter 12, he was set free from prison by that angel, and then he left the town because his life was on the line, and we haven't heard from him since. Okay, So Peter's back in town. Maybe he just came back for this meeting. We're not really sure, but Peter's back. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the gospel, the gospel message of, excuse me, the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the, yeah, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. Just as he did to us, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So Peter, the most respected apostle um, from, from day one says this. This is vital. This is important. But it goes on. Now James picks it up. James, the, the uh, half-brother of Jesus, was apparently the leader in the church of Jerusalem after Peter left. Peter was still doing God's work elsewhere. He, may, he probably ended up in Rome at some point, which is kind of why the Catholics started to put that papal thing together and the succession of popes and all of that, which I don't believe, but okay, that, that's some of, the, of the, the reason they do that, okay? Peter ended up in Rome. But um, here we have James now, the leader of the church, also addressing this. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to, 
Barnabas and, and Saul telling the, about the wonders and signs God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will, I will rebuild. I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by aisles, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So um, James dropped the mic there, okay, by saying that, all right? He, he really, if, if Peter wasn't enough, Peter was the beginning then James just sealed it, and the church agreed. The church recognized. Now, understand again, this is a room full of Jewish men. Circumcision from the time they were little was just part of the deal, a very important one, and everyone has to do this if you're part of the community, and now we have a newly formed community of believers in the Christ, Jesus, and wouldn't they have to do the same thing? Oh, I guess they really don't. And for that matter, they don't have to keep Sabbath law. And they don't have to keep all the food laws, which was already addressed with Peter. And, and they don't have to um, you know, go to all of the festivals and feasts. Not that those things didn't continue. Not that those things weren't still important to the Jewish believers. Because they could see that how Christ fulfilled all of them in different ways. And that was the teaching going forward. But you don't depend on adherence to, to that, those laws, those rules, those those circumstances that, that the law of Moses dictates for your salvation. That's not what it is about anymore. And Peter and James said this. Amen. 22, it says, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers with them. They sent excuse me, with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agree to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So this was the official declaration. This was the result of the first ever church council. Here is their writing. Here is their decision about this particular issue of 
do Gentile believers have to be circumcised? And we'll get back to that in a moment. And then at verse 30, he says, so, so the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off, they were sent off by believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who they had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. And the end chapter, we're going to pick it up there next week, actually. It connects better with the 16th chapter, what happened between Paul and Barnabas and someone named Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and we'll, we'll cover that next time. So this was this very key chapter. This was the, the events that, um, that not just this scholar but many others believe was so vital to the story in Acts, which is the story of the church, which, which means it's our story. So, so why, why is this so important? Guarding the good news in the gospel. Of, of course, you may know, and if you don't, the word gospel means good news. So is that, is that redundant? But the word gospel gets loaded sometimes, and, and it, it, it collects other thoughts, other definitions, and that, that may not really um, mean the core of, of what the gospel truly is. So sometimes it's good to kind of get back to the core, to be a reminder, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? And so the, the church had to do that, and that whole council meeting to do it. And so for us, it's good to do that as well. So one of the, some of the things they discovered, first of all, beware of gospel additives. Circumcision was a gospel additive. Yes, believe in Jesus Christ. Praise God. God send him. Amen. Have faith. Oh, by the way, sorry, guys. I got some news for you. No, that's not the gospel. And you know what else they didn't add? And, and we'll, we'll cover what James did say here in a moment. But they didn't add, oh, by the way, faith in Jesus Christ and baptism. Now, I'm not saying don't be baptized, okay? Baptism is good. But baptism itself, that is the water baptism, doesn't save you. Now, the spiritual baptism is what happens when you have faith. That's what happens in your heart. And the water baptism just affirms what took place. But, but water baptism itself doesn't save you. And, and you'd think if that was really, really vital, they would have said that right here. No, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Or you could have picked any other thing. You could have picked... Um, you know, the, some of the gifts of the Spirit or that, that kind of thing. Yeah, as long as you have that, then we know you're really saved. Now, what kind of things are also sometimes added to the gospel? What about um, very legalistic um, criteria? How many of you have seen a uh, social media post or read somewhere or whatever, heard some, someone's lips? Something like this. How can you claim to be a Christian and vote for fill in the blank? I don't care which one you pick. Going back to the last presidential election. Like, like you can't be a believer. Oh, oh really? 
Let me find out. I'm going to open my Bible again. I'm going to go to all the scriptures that tell us about salvation through Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to Acts 15 to find out what's really important. And you know what it doesn't tell me here? It doesn't say anything about voting. Hmm. Or it doesn't tell me that I, should, I need to have the right political positions and posturing in my life in order for me to be a candidate for salvation through Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that either. And yet, you'd think it was with the way, sadly, certain parts of, of the church act and speak in today's very politically hostile environment. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's hostile. And that hostility has spilled right into the church. And that hostility has become, in some people's eyes and hearts, a gospel additive. Now, I'm not saying that political positions and who you vote for and don't vote for isn't important. What I am saying is it is not the basis of anyone's salvation. Or you can plug any other... Any other action into that blank space? Like, like, how can you be a Christian and do this, do that? You know, when I grew up, you, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't drink alcohol ever. I still don't. That's my choice. Okay? But is that, like, something that, well, if I do that, then it cancels out the death and resurrection of Jesus because somebody had a beer is that where we go with this? That's just one example, okay? And, and so we have to be careful not to put additives. Now, there are ways that, that the Spirit of God wants us to, to, to live and to act and the fruit of the Spirit. Let's start there. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. When that is coming out of our life, that's what, that's what God wants to see and that's going to be the result. It, it, it's, it's not that I start doing that and then I'm saved. It's that I'm saved and I start doing that. You see the difference there? And, and so let's not add things to the gospel. Paul says in Galatians chapter, chapter 1 down at verse number 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And so Paul is emphasizing there in the entire book of Galatians the exact same issue that they're addressing here in Acts 15. These were the people that were affected by this this false teaching about circumcision being part of salvation, or criteria for salvation. And so Paul's addressing that in that book, and he's calling that another gospel. Secondly, beware of bait-and-switch legalism. Go back to um, verse number 5. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So it began with circumcision. It began with, okay, you need to carry out this because of its connection way back to Abraham and the people of God, of God set apart in this world for his work. That's why you do this. Apparently, some of the Pharisees, that wasn't enough. Okay, yeah, they're circumcision. Good, you did that, great. Oh, by the way, 
Now there's this thing, there's Sabbath. Let me tell you about that and all the rules with that. And, when, and the, the Pharisees in particular were really good at Sabbath law. Well, really bad at it, depending on your point of view. And then there's the feast. And, and there, there's so all these, all these rules. So it's kind of like, you know what? A legalist is never satisfied. If you clear this bar, there's another one. If you clear this bar, there's another one. If you get through that, then there's an... See, it, it never ends. Why is that? Control. The Pharisees love control. Now, understand here, these are Pharisees who found Jesus, but they were having a very difficult time letting go of their controlling nature as Pharisees. And, and isn't that true, though? Like, like when, but, but before you know Christ, you have certain ways that you live, attitudes you hold, patterns you, you abide by. Some of them might be okay. Some of them might be very damaging, you know, but that's just kind of who, that's part of the makeup of you. And you come to Jesus and you start, you know, you believe in him and you're happy about it. But that, that, that old self, those old ways still emerge from time to time, don't they? So if you have people that whose whole life was being legalistic and rules-based, it's not surprising that they, as Christians, were still carrying these, this whole rules thing along. Yes, we love Jesus too. Praise God, he forgave us. Amen, thank you. But get better at you know, being obedient. Now there is a place for obedience. But again, it's not as a condition to salvation. And, and what does Jesus say about law? About the greatest law, the most important law to Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. There's the rule. <laughs> That's the one to live by. Mm-hmm. Which carries so many of the other things with it. But it's, again, you have to, you don't get the cart before the horse. Okay? It is those good things that come out of our lives are as a result of knowing Jesus Christ. It's not that I... Do that, and then I am accepted by him. No, it's quite the opposite. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 says, We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And then the the next guarding that we have to do of the good news is God loves them just as much as us. Back to verse 8 again. This is when Peter was talking. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now listen to this next line, verse 9. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. And then jumping down to to verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we are saved just as they are. So you have those examples there of Peter equalizing everything. Really God doing it, but Peter acknowledging what God has done. That, that this is the way God has designed it. There, there, 
it isn't an us versus them thing. When, when the Gentiles began to, to have faith in Christ, they weren't junior believers. They, they, they weren't secondary believers. Although the gospel came to the Jews first, and, and Jesus himself said that before he sent them into heaven, to go to them first. But by the time it gets to the Gentiles, the message is the same. The impact is the same. The opportunity is the same. And it took the Jewish believers a long time to come to terms with that and accept that and understand the ramifications of that. And this chapter 15 of Acts is the working out of part of this ongoing dilemma of how does a people, how do a people who've been you know, God's people for millennia, several millennia, now open this up to everybody. I mean, you, you can't just slow that train down that fast. So, so at a certain degree, you, you, you can't blame Peter and John and James and uh, Philip and the others for being reluctant at first or having a hard time with it or kind of going back and forth. You know, that, that's, what, that's who they were. And that's why God brought in Saul. And that's why God keeps pushing them in this direction. And the fourth one, perfectionists are far from perfect. Verse 10, again, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? That's just honesty from Peter. That, that's just straight up, wow, praise God, we are God's people, and we're not like the rest of the world and all. And then someone, you know, in the back of their minds, they're probably thinking, yeah, but as a people, we sure have messed up. Oh, my goodness, we, we killed prophets. I mean, didn't Jesus point that out? And, 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 and the kings, oh, boy, talk about a, a mixed bag of mostly bad dudes. And, and even some of the prophets were a little... And we disobeyed, and God had to remove his blessing, his protection on us. We ended up being enslaved and knocked over by the Babylonians, and then the Assyrians, and now the Romans. And, yeah, but we're God's people. Everything's really great, right? We really got this thing about Moses together, don't we? No, we don't. That's what Peter's doing. He's acknowledging as a Jew how they're... Their adherence to the law wasn't cutting it. But then he says, here's the good news. God still loves you. And that same love applies to everybody else, too. Paul says in Romans 8, beginning the first verse, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you haven't underlined that in your Bible yet, do it. I mean, that, that's if you're an underliner. Okay, that is... At least for Paul Miller, I need that verse so much. Because guess who does the condemning of Paul Miller? The guy in the mirror, that's right. And, and so, so what, what Paul Miller has to read to the condemning Paul Miller is that, you know, look, you, you condemner, you, that there is no more condemnation. I'm in Christ. Stop it. And that voice gets quiet. Doesn't go away. It'll be back. But it doesn't have to have the microphone. It doesn't have to have control of my heart. Mm. 
Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free, free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be an offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. That the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us. Not because of what I did, because of what Christ did and that I believe in. That's what seals the deal. That's what makes it happen. Those who do not live according to the flesh, but living according to the Spirit. And then lastly, the problem is not the venue, but the menu. Excuse me, I got it backwards. Problem was the venue, not the menu. I wrote it, I just didn't read it very well. Now this goes back to what James said and then wrote in this letter that was shared in the churches, okay? Um, because on the surface, it seems like, wait a minute, he still is putting a few rules in here about food and sexual immorality, okay? So what, what, what does that mean? Like, he could have picked many sins. Of course, God doesn't want us to, to live a life of sin, but why this, okay? Um, I'm going to repeat these verses from 19 to 21 back in Acts 15. This is um, James speaking. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Paul writes about this too. He talks about, um, in actually several passages, about eating meat to, that was offered to idols, but then also this, this word idols keeps coming up. Okay? And... Um, in 2 Corinthians 6, there's a verse that might be familiar to, which is often applied in, in other areas. I'm not saying it's misapplied or wrongly applied, okay? But the context here, notice what the context is for this verse. If you always just heard this verse, isolate it. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, okay? You heard that one before? And usually that's applied. I've heard it applied to... Um, to your relationships, to your business partners, to all kinds of things. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Marriage, it, it, it's, it's a tough one, okay? Because the context itself isn't even talking about that. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. All right, so what, what's going on in the early church is you had the first believers being Jews. What was their biggest hurdle? Other than being put down by their fellow Jews for embracing Jesus, but... Their biggest hurdle was to keep on depending on the law. They, it, it's like, yeah, Jesus died for me. I, I believe that. I accept that. I'm forgiven. But boy, I, I got to keep these rules, don't I? And, and that was their hurdle. But even in 
and still adhering to the law at some level, even if it was just a, a social or a, a customary level, if I can use that word, they, they at least were still connecting to something that was fulfilled in Jesus. It wasn't like they had to reject Moses and, and Abraham and David. Okay, I mean, because Jesus goes back to David. He was the one that, that, that you know, was, was foretold by the prophets and all of that. So, so Jesus is, they, they look at that as like, wow, Jesus fulfilled all of this and takes it from here. Okay, so that wasn't so bad. Now, what about these Gentile believers? What was their religious upbringing? The gods, the Greek gods, they were all over the place. Caesar Augustus decided that he was a god and he built himself temples all over the empire. And in those temples, the, the practices of their religion was honestly deplorable. When you see the word debauchery in, in, um, in the New Testament, that's usually pointing to the stuff that was going on in these temples. And, and it, a lot of it had to do with the animals and the blood and how they killed them. And there was, there was sexual practices taking place all in relation to their, quote, worship of their God or their gods. That was normal in the Gentile world. Now, in comes the message of Jesus. So the transformation for the Gentile world was so much greater, so much bigger than it was for the Jewish world. Because they already had the one God. Because remember I said many times, most of the world believed in multiple gods. They thought these Jews were nuts for only having one. So at least they had a starting point. The starting point, if you're a Gentile in that world, and you grew up around these temples, you just thought, that's what you got to do. It's kind of weird and a little creepy sometimes, but okay, whatever. And now you got to give that up. And in giving that up, you just might lose friends because your neighbors go to that temple and they always meet you there. Hey, why weren't you at the temple last week? And some of those people might be your business partners that, that you, you know, have, have do trade with and make business arrangements. And now, well, what do you mean you're not coming to, to worship Aphrodite anymore? Well, you know what? I can find someone else to buy my linen from. That was the challenge of the Gentile world. So there was a temptation to embrace Jesus. And something in my heart says, this is true, this is real, all these gods, this is nuts. But, but Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the story they told, wow, that's powerful. And yet, for those more surface reasons, but maybe I can still just show up at the temple. I'm not going to do everything, but i got to be there because, well, my friends are there, my associates are there, and they're going to think less of me if I'm not there. And... That was their challenge. So, why does James say this? Because those were the practices in those temples. Those were the things they had to let go of completely. And just like the Jews had to let go of a dependence on the law completely. And they are all one in Christ. The church in Acts 15 and the church today, the base nature of the attacks against the gospel message has never gone away. The church today still needs to be on guard against the outside forces 
of corrupt institutional religion, the subtle but powerful influence of culture, and the dangers of political empire. From within, the faith is still attacked by a denial of the resurrection of Christ, a labeling of people groups as outsiders, and adding elements of grace, excuse me, elements of law to grace. And the solution to this is also the same. And that is the words of Peter from this passage today. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for that truth. May we live that truth. May we embody that truth. May may that affect our attitudes, our relationships, our words, our deeds, knowing that it is upon you that we depend. And may the world see your goodness in us. In your name we pray. Amen.